It's so good to worship today. We love Jonathan and Emily. Uh, we can count on their music to be biblical, and they are walking what they're talking. I hope you'll have a chance to take a look at their table once the service is over today. Check out their website. They have some great resources for families to help you with devotionals, music to sing. We tell families when they're doing devotionals to read, sing, pray, and we'll add in the play part too. But when you read, sing, and pray, oftentimes we get stuck on the sing part. Well, Jonathan and Emily can help you with that. They have some great music that your family can learn to sing along with, as well as uh, the devotional material as well. Well, our church is praying for unity. We believe in a city that's divided, in a world that's divided, that one thing that God wants is his people to be united. This past week, we had uh, a ruling from Guilford County that could divide churches. So I'm going to put it like this. If you, if you want to wear a mask and you feel more comfortable, please do so. Masks are welcomed. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's okay too. Come without your mask on. One thing that we want to really encourage though as we move toward the fall is that we would practice some good basic sanitation skills. All right, so let me, let me just go over these real quick. Probably better, if we're not going to pass germs, let's try as much as possible to do the fist bump, right? And when you sneeze, use your sleeve, okay? We don't want your sneeze all over us. So I'm trying to be a little bit humorous with that, but you, you get what I'm saying. We can wash our hands, we can take care of some basic things that in flu season would be a problem for us anyway. So we want to be united together as a church family. And so let's move forward together. And we're thankful that we get to use uh, a uh, religious exemption. I I was telling somebody, uh, I'm a little bit OCD with stuff. I I hope you you don't ever pick up on that. I try to hide it pretty good. But when all the stuff came out where we were trying not to touch anything or Uh, shake hands and all this kind of stuff my oldest son said to my wife she said now we all know what it's like to live in dad's world (laughs) so I I own it I try not to show it as much as I can but you you get it Uh, it is it is we're, we're saying we're given a lot of freedom but one thing we're not giving freedom from is the church to be divided that's not God's plan that's not God's will And we're going to pray and we're going to fight for our King united together. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The church is rich in good works. It starts right here in the church. If someone wants to know what good works looks like, they ought to be able to point to the members at Lawndale Baptist Church and say, you watch those folks who belong to that church. You watch the people who attend that church. You'll see what good works looks like. I'm already seeing so much of this. Good works is oftentimes an act of a sacrifice on behalf of another. I, I just love it when our senior adults are worshiping with our younger generation and they sing a new, younger, more youthful song. A new song, a modern hymn, or a modern song. I love it because I know senior adults, that may not be their most favorite style. But you know, I love it too when I see younger generation singing a hymn. You, you see the good work there that we're, we're saying, even styles and uh, opinions and preferences, that, that's not going to divide us. We're, we're going to be one united church together. And the church is rich in good works. Stand with me as we begin reading 1 Timothy 6. 
verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You may be seated. And pray with me. Father, it's good to be in your house today. What a joy to do what we've been put here on earth to do, to sing praises to you, to be with your people, to enjoy fellowship together, not only with you, but with your people, to pray together and to study your word together. And this morning, we, we surrender to you. We surrender again to what this text that you intended to be written down long ago and to be read on this day in the year 2021. We believe it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that that kind of heart surgery that only you can do through your word would happen right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What would you choose if you had a choice to be poor or wealthy, if you could choose wealth or poverty, which one would you choose? Now, in our family Zoom meeting this last week, I, I threw that out to my grandkids, and I could tell they were struggling with it. They, I could tell, you know, they they would rather be rich, but they knew the right answer, or at least they thought they knew the right answer. And so, uh, one of them actually said, "Well, to be poor." So, you know, he was trying to, to give an answer that he thought would be pleasing. And, of course, then I had to throw out there, well, maybe, maybe it'd be neither. Maybe that's the right answer. And when I'm thinking about Proverbs 30, maybe you thought of that as well when I asked that question, which would you choose? Most of the Proverbs are written by Solomon, this rich guy who had it all, who really was at the top of life. I mean, he was, he was one of the rich guys. He was... Uh, the Bezos or the uh, rich people that live in our world today. I mean, he, he had it all, but he didn't write Proverbs 30. It was a man named Agur. Agur, we don't know a lot about, but we are guessing he was a lot more of a common man like most of us would be. And it's interesting because when you read Proverbs 30, uh, verse 2 really shows some humility on Agur's part. Uh, some of you might, might like to choose this for your life verse. Let me read Proverbs 30, verse 2. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. Uh, I had a pastor friend we met for accountability, and I knew at the end of the month if he was reading uh, Proverbs, because he read one proverb per day for the month. You know, you basically can read through Proverbs one chapter a day because it's 31 chapters. Whenever he get to chapter 30, he would always remind us, hey, I read my life's verse today, and he would point to that and show some, some humility, especially on Agur's part. He, he was not putting on any kind of airs as he looked at life and tried to see it in a wise way like the Proverbs show us. And down in verse 7, we began to see what I wanted you to see this morning. Two things I ask of you. So I like a prayer unto God. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And of course, as I was going over this passage with my grandkids, I was trying to tell them it's 
natural at times to want to tell a lie. We're born sinners. And sometimes to get what we want or to protect ourselves so that we won't get in trouble, it's natural to lie. And Agur knew that that was not the right way of life. And he's saying, God, help me remove all falsehood from me. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness. But here's the second thing he said, give me neither poverty nor riches. That's the right answer. I don't really want either. Poverty nor riches. Now, why did he say that? Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So if I'm rich, I may be prone to deny God. If I'm poor, or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. I might dishonor God. So riches can lead us to deny God if we're not careful. Doesn't necessarily mean that they will, but that's the temptation. Or if we're poor, sometimes we'll do whatever it takes to get things in life, and we will dishonor God. And so Agur is saying, you know, God, I think I'd be satisfied somewhere in the middle. Not not overly wealthy and not overly poor. Just help me to be kind of in the middle of that. The, the fact of the matter is, most everybody in this room and those who are joining us by live stream are rich in the perspective of the whole world. The average medium income across the world of a household is $2,100. The average median household income in America is over $68,000. It's a pretty big divide. Most of us have disposable income, especially if we've tried to live by budget and live modestly. Most everybody has some disposable discretionary income. What are we going to do with that? So even if we may not be considered wealthy and rich in this world's eyes, uh, compared to some of the most wealthy, we all know that we've been given a certain amount of trust, a certain amount of responsibility with what we do have. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 to address those in the congregation who were rich. Now, in one way, Paul could have tried to be clever and say, Timothy, I tell you what, those who are rich, as long as they're given, don't mess with them. Listen, you know, but God's not like that. God's not a... a a person who shows favoritism. God is not a God of favoritism. God expects us all to be responsible with whatever we've been given for His glory. Whether you have ten, five, or one talents, God holds us all accountable. And Paul was to was telling Timothy to equip those who are rich, equip the saints to know what to do with what they've been given. And so first up, I, I want to help you to see the danger of being rich as a follower of Christ. Verse 17 shows us that danger. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the first danger is that you'll be tempted to be haughty because of riches. I don't know, well, I do know what it is about us humans. We all tend to be self-centered. We all tend to think more highly of ourselves than than what's really the reality of it. And in this sense, sometimes if we have a certain gift or a talent or certain resources, somehow it gives us, if we're not careful, a sense of superiority. Well, we must be better than them or I must be a little bit 
more intelligent or a little bit more athletic. And sometimes we put ourselves above others. And that's why Paul told the church at Philippi, consider others better than yourselves. Don't ever look down on other people because they might not have as much or they might not have accomplished as much or they don't have a certain title, whether it's athletically, academically, musically, uh, materially, it doesn't matter. We're, we're not to look down on anyone. And the enemy, oftentimes when there are more resources than not, he will tempt us. He has a strategy to make us feel somewhat superior or over other people. And God meant for us all to be equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus didn't shed any more blood for someone who is more wealthy or who has more gifts or talents. Uh, for them, God didn't create us uh, in a sense of saying, I, I'm, I love this person more than I love that person. There's this sense in which we're all equal before God. And God in his sovereignty, he's given some more talents, 10, 5, or 1. He's given some more treasures, 10, 5, 1. He, he in his sovereignty has worked. And that's why this wise guy in Proverbs is saying, man, you know what? It's pretty tempting if you've got a lot of stuff. And I know it'd be pretty tempting if you don't have much stuff. Give me somewhere in the middle so I can just kind of live a life that's unto God. So those who are rich, you've got to know you're going to be tempted a little bit more. Those who have a lot of discretionary or disposable income, you're going to be tempted a little bit more to rely on your treasure rather than on the treasure, Jesus himself. Don't be haughty. You'll be tempted that way. Don't let it get to you. And then secondly, you'll be tempted to set your hope on riches. There are a lot of people, they find their identity in what they have. Well, I, I have this kind of house, I drive this kind of car, I have this in my bank account, or I've achieved this, I have this kind of, of uh, educational degree, or I, I've done this athletically. They find their identity in what, they, what they've done or what they've achieved. And that's always going to let you down because you always need a little bit more to raise up your emotions you always need a little bit more to make yourself feel better because that's the complacency. Only God can fill all of your needs. It's not the stuff of this world. It's the creator of this world that meets our needs. And so, needs. so Paul is saying, don't trust in the uncertain riches. They will fail you. Jesus put it like this. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and rust corrupts, but store your treasures up in heaven. That's a, a much more reliable place. And you know as well as I do in the uncertainty of the age that we live in, it doesn't take but a, a company buyout to change a job or to change income. It doesn't take but a crisis in your life, somehow, maybe even medically, to make a, a visit to a doctor and hear some very discouraging, maybe even life-threatening news to change our standing here on earth. There's the uncertainty of life on earth. There's the uncertainty of riches. But what is certain is God. He never changes. And His love for us never changes. Even on my good days, God doesn't love me anymore. And on my bad days, God doesn't love me any less. His love is perfect every day. And nothing, absolutely nothing, according to Romans 8, can separate me from the love of God. It's certain, it's sure, it's as Hebrews 10.34 says, it's a better possession, it's an abiding one, it's eternal, it's lasting, it's certain, it's a firm foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
you're a sinner and you're going to tend towards sin. And if you have a little bit more uh, wealth-wise, your temptation is going to be even greater. There's a place of weakness that we have to live constantly trusting the Lord, constantly coming back to God, what do, you want to, what do you want me to do with this? I'm a steward of what you've given me. It's not because I'm any special person or have any uh, right to say, look what I've done. God, you've, you've blessed me. You, you let me be born in this time, in this family, in this nation. You're the one who brought these genes together and you're the one who's given me these opportunities to accomplish and achieve and to accumulate and so God it's all yours my hands are open to you God is that more certain foundation and when you live in this place of weakness to say you know at any given day I can start looking to myself I can start being a little prideful at what I've done. On any given day, I can be selfish and I can hoard rather than give. On any given day, I can be guilty of not loving God and loving myself more. It's good that Paul told Timothy up front in chapter 1, verse 15, to remember the fact of who he is, and especially without Christ. Look with me with... uh, our saying here, you, you who have been here a while, you know what to do with this. You, this is your first time, follow along with us. This is my part. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Let's do it again. Excellent job. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What a gracious, gracious God we have that he would give himself, that our Father in heaven would send the Son, God the Son, to come to earth, to take on human flesh, and to die on our behalf. One of the great texts of Scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that describes this this great gift that has been done on our behalf. Look with me, if you would, uh, in 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. Let's start in verse 8. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Well, how are you going to know someone's love is genuine? Well, the fact that they've been giving freely. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, God has shown us what he's willing to do for us sinners. He became poor for our sakes that we might, through his poverty, his death and his resurrection, become rich. We might know what real, genuine richness is. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there's a danger where we can trust ourselves and lean on ourselves. And that's what he's saying, avoid, don't do that. But there's also a duty of being rich as a follower of Christ. Notice with me in verse 18 of 1 Timothy 6. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
You see, God gives us what he does so that we can enjoy life in him. And part of that life in him is to be able to share and to give so that we can experience the generosity of God as God has been generous to us to give us what we didn't deserve. We take that same generosity and we give it to others. We, we enjoy life by participating in the work of God, by becoming more like Him and how we give and how we operate in this life. And so the duty of being rich as a follower of Christ is to do good, be rich in good works. We have a responsibility. For a second, imagine a ledger where every day, every good thing you do is written down. Now, just like we don't keep a record of wrongs that others do against us, we don't keep a record of rights we do for others. We don't let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. It's, it's not a prideful, arrogant thing. And never will a good work ever earn you any favor with God. Good works can never save us. You, you can't do enough good things for God to say, okay, I think I'll let you in. Sometimes we get that picture of that balance, my good works and my sin. And so as long as my good works is tilting up, then I'm going to be okay. No, you're never going to be okay. You're not good enough. You can never be good enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can ever work for our salvation. But when we know Christ and he's transformed our hearts, we've experienced the generosity of God. We can't help but to be generous toward others. When you've received the grace of God, you can't help but to show grace toward others. When you've received the love of God, you can't help but to show the love of God to others. And so to be rich in good works is just taking on the nature of our Father in heaven. We're acting more Christ-like even. When we began to do good things, we're not working for our salvation. We're, we're working out our salvation. Soon we will start a study in the book of 1 John. It's a book that was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13. And it fleshes out for us what a genuine believer looks like. It's not someone who's just prayed a prayer. It's not someone who's just walked an aisle. It's not someone who's just been baptized. It's someone who's placed their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and has surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, Romans 10.9. That's a follower of Christ. And how do you know if someone's following Christ? Well, there's some evidences of that. And the way we give, the way we use what God has given us indicates the heart and whether or not it's been changed. Be rich in good works. Now, if that ledger were being written up, and might I say that I do believe God does keep a ledger. He knows everything that you do. He knows all the good works all the things that you've given away, all the, the cards that you've sent, the meals that you've shared, the ways you've helped the people around you, God knows every one of those things. And one day we'll be, we'll be judged according to our works. Those who are believers will be judged according to what you've done with what you've been given. Now, you will not be judged for your sin as a believer. Those who've placed their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, their sin has already been judged. It was judged on the cross. So when believers stand before God, what they're judged for is not their sin has already been judged. They're judged for their stewardship of what they've done with what they've been given. Their time, their talents, their treasures. What have you done with what you've been given? And Paul is telling Timothy to tell those who are rich and in a, more very, in a very general way, he's saying be rich in good works. 
They're to do good. Be rich in good works. Greensboro should know what someone who knows Christ looks like by all the good works that happen. Wouldn't it be neat to be somewhere and you do something for someone? And say, do you go to Lawndale Baptist Church? <laughs> Everywhere we go, we meet people from Lawndale and they're doing good stuff. Isn't it neat to be a part of a church family that there's some of that in the community already? When you go places and people talk about, well, Lawndale, we, we know, we've heard some of the things that you guys have done. And, and that's not something that we, we take lightly. We see the good works and the community should see that. And, and it gives us a reason to tell people why. Why do you guys do those things? Why do you try to help people? Why, why do you collect school supplies for Joiner Elementary? And we get to give them a reason for the hope that we have. Well, Jesus changed my life. Well, I didn't deserve it. He, he saved me. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And I placed my faith in him. And because he's been so gracious and good to me, I can't help but to be gracious. I can't help but to do these, these good things. He's changed my life. Be rich in good works. Let your light so shine before men, Matthew 5, 16, so that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That's our goal. Not to get a pat on the back. Not to have uh, anybody give accolades, but to point to the one true God and give Him the glory that He deserves. The duty of being rich as a follower of Christ. The second duty that I see here is to be generous, ready to share. We're, we're looking for ways. We get, God, how do you want to use me today? God, you've given me this ability, and you, or you've given me these resources, uh, especially in context of what we're studying today. You've given me these resources. God, how do you want to use me today? Now, I'm not advocating just passing out dollars as you go. We use some wisdom and discernment. We balance it out with all of Scripture. If a man's not willing to eat, uh, excuse me, <laughs> if he's not willing to eat, he's going to die eventually. If he's not willing to work, then he shouldn't eat. You know, we, we balance that out when people are able. We're not enablers in that sense. But, we, but we're looking at this in terms of being ready as God leads us and as we have opportunity around us. Some of those happen in our own families. First Timothy 5 says, if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. That speaks volumes when you are generous towards your family. When we talk about our church family, many of you give regularly to the work of the ministry. It's how we're able to keep doing what we do. Uh, God's using you in that kind of way. We give to the spiritual family, the local church, the storehouse. And then many of you have been led to give to special ministries. Places that God lays on your heart, that they're sharing the gospel, they're doing the work of God, and you want to participate in that. And God gives you a burden to do that. And then those who are in need. That you come across just in the normal course of life. It's one of those impromptu moments. One of those divine appointments that God gives you to be a blessing to someone else. Be generous. Ready to share. That's what God's called us to do. The duty. The third thing I want you to see is in verse 19. The delight of being rich as a follower of Christ. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, think about that good foundation for the future because we, we do oftentimes talk about eternal life and eternal security. 
I think one of the biggest blessings that God gives us is assurance of salvation. Do you have to go around living in fear? Well, am I really saved? I mean, if I died tonight, would I go to heaven? If Jesus came back, would he take me to be with him? Am I really saved? And I I was thinking about it this past week. I was reading, finishing up John, the gospel of John in my quiet time. And remember, John wrote the gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God. So it teaches us about who he is, his claims, and whether or not we're going to surrender to the lordship of Christ. John is there to help us to place our faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he wrote the first letter so that we may know that we have believed. So that assurance that he wants to give us that I've believed and now I can see the fruit of it. It's almost like this foundation. When you do good works, it's a foundation. It gives us that stability, that security to know this is what genuine followers of Christ do. This is how they live their lives. They're, they're giving, they're gracious, they're rich in good works. Whatever they have available and whatever they can do, they're willing to do that. Whether it's they're the ten or the five or the one talent person, they're willing to do whatever they can to honor God. And so the delight of being rich as a follower of Christ first is your past influences your present. What he did for you drives you to do for others. Though he was rich, became poor for your sakes that you through his poverty, his incarnation might be made rich. He took our place on the cross so that we could have a restored relationship with God. My past The fact that I have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ drives my present, how I live right now. Because God has shown his grace to me, I show grace to others. Your past influences your present. If your present is no different than someone who doesn't know Christ, how you live and treat others, then you better do a checkup. You better examine yourself. Am I really in the faith? And, of course, that's what First John does is goes through a series of examinations. Your past influences your present. Whether or not you've received Christ or not influences your present. But also your present influences your future. Think with me again about this text. Storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. It's what you're doing with what you've been given, and it's why you're doing what you're doing with what you've been given. Am I living my life to honor God? Am I living my life in a way that I'm storing up treasure in heaven? Am I going to have a worthy offering to my king? I I think about those words. I, I don't know about you, but when those servants that had the ten and the five and the one talents, when they're brought before the owner of the vineyard, when they're brought before the one who owns it all and they're held... Uh, accountable in that parable. I I see the first two, and, and they're evaluated, well done, good and faithful servant. They've been rich in good works. They've been eager to be good managers. They've taken what God has given them, and they've used it for his glory. And you have the one who, when he's evaluated, the owner says, you wicked, lazy servant. It was all about his self preservation, his self centeredness and he was lazy and he didn't do what God had called him to do what the owner had called him to do and I I think about standing before God and I I think about the embarrassment of that that'd be embarrassing 
I mean, if somebody asked me to do a job for them, you know, wash my car or whatever it might be, and here I am doing that, and they, and they come and they evaluate, and there's a lot of dirt on the windshield, and you know, the tires are not clean, and I mean, you, you've, you've probably had one of those car washes before. But if you're the one doing the car wash, it's kind of a, it's a little bit embarrassing. That, well, you know, man, you missed this spot, you missed that spot. This is it's a pretty shoddy job you've done here. So there is an, a, a bit of embarrassment to stand before our king and, man, we've been lazy, we've not been good stewards, we've lived for ourselves and not the glory of God. But I think even more than my own personal embarrassment would be that I've let down the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thinking, what all he's done for me? I mean, taking on human flesh, dying, giving so freely of himself so that I could be in relationship with him. And this is my offering to him? This is what I'm giving? This is the treasure I've laid back and I'm I'm standing here uh, that I've laid up and here I'm standing here and my offering for the king? Is so shoddy. That's not what I think any of us are looking for. There's a certain amount of delight. One, when God restores us to himself, there's a delight, there's a peace, there's a joy that he gives us that now we have peace and now we have freedom to live life like he intended. And while we're living that life, there's a delight of being able to give You see, it works against the world system. The world system says, I need to just do for myself. I just need to take care of me. And and it's all about me. And that kind of life leads to bitterness and hurt and all the stuff that we would want to stay away from. But when we become a conduit, when we become a tool in the hands of God, we begin to bless others and, and minister to others. There's a joy in that. You see, we've been given the gospel and you hold it to yourself and, man, it's, there's something wrong about that. I've got the greatest news in the world. Jesus saves from sin. Jesus saves from hell. Jesus saves that we might be citizens in his kingdom and we might be adopted into his family. There's, there's great news there. It would be terrible for me to hold that in. And when God's given me ability and opportunity around me to do good works and to bless others it wouldn't be right for me to hold it all into myself there's a joy when we began to be givers and you've seen it in people's faces before because many of you are givers and you give and you just see the surprise you see the blessing you see what God does in someone when they participate in that good work there's a joy in giving and blessing We tell our kids, it might cost you something to do what's right, but later on, it'll pay off. When you are at school and many of our students are starting back to school and you see somebody that maybe is at a table by themselves or being bullied and you stand up and say, guys, that's wrong. Don't do that. It might cost you in the moment, but Doing what's right in God's eyes is much greater. There are, many, there are many adults who are here today that look back when they were students in school and wish they had stood up for the ones who were being bullied, for the ones who did not have friends. You, you see, in the moment, it may feel like it's costing me something when I'm giving and when I'm sharing and when I'm doing what's right. But long term, what's ultimately important is when I stand before God, if I've lived my life for His glory, 
And even if it costs me my life here on earth, it's wor- he is worthy. He is worthy. So what you have, in conclusion, what you have is not your own. Even you are not your own. You may think, I just want to do what I want to do. You're not your own. As a follower of Christ, you're not your own. And a part of coming to Christ is giving up all your life and rights. And we do it because we know that that's the right thing. It's the best thing. It's the eternal thing. 1 Corinthians 6 puts it like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. Will you say with me this morning, I will put my trust in God alone? How I use my time, how I use my resources, how I use my influence, whether I'm in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, whether I'm going to work this week, whether I'm thinking about being at home or in the neighborhood or a place of business, I will put my trust in you alone. Pray with me. Father, as we consider this text this morning, we pray for your help that we might be rich in good works. Not so that we might get a pat on the back, but so that more people will come to know you. Lord, let Lawndale shine its light for you in this community in such a way that the people in the community glorify our Father in heaven. We know we've not been saved by good works, but we know we've been saved to do good works. And so I pray that even in this moment, that you'll help us as a church family to be more committed than ever before to serve you well for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.